Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Lake Travis, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at OneChapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you here this morning. Get your Bibles out if you would, please, because we're starting a new series here today that we're calling Who Am I? And I just think that this is a question that tends to kind of roll in our heads really then in every season uh, of our lives. I think a lot of us, we don't really think about it that we're actually asking this question, but the reality is, is that in our, in all throughout life, in our ups and downs, and our bumps, and even in our victories, that I think we ask this question, who am I? And so the, for the next six weeks, we're going to be diving into this whole issue, identity, and the different aspects about how that affects our lives. And so if you have your Bible, go to the book of Exodus, where we're going to start um, here this morning. Because we're going to get this conversation with Moses and God here in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 10, where God told Moses, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. We're going to look at different people over these next six weeks um, throughout Scripture who are asking this question, who am I? And so here's Moses. He's asking this question, who am I? Now, as I was thinking about this, you know, the fact is, is that we start out very early in life, at the beginning of our lives, where we're being measured and everything in our life is being evaluated. When you have a child, and before you even get out of the hospital, the doctors are doing these APGAR tests. You know what I'm talking about, parents? And all of a sudden, people are asking, how did your child do on that APGAR test? Because obviously, your child needs to do better than everybody else in the nursery. Come on, parents. You know what I'm saying? And then, you're, then as soon as you get out of the hospital, you have your first... Um, doctor's appointment with your child. Now all of a sudden, all the statistical analysis is being on, you know, done on your child. And so the doctor comes in and he says, well, your, your child's in the 99th percentile, but yet that might just be in the size of his head, uh, but yet you're really happy because after all, he takes after me, right? And so we go from there to our children coming into school and all of a sudden they're getting assessed on how well they're doing their reading and their writing and uh, their math skills and their science skills and we start getting these report cards and so all throughout school we're being assessed, we're being evaluated and then we hit our teenage years. And so talk about evaluation and assessment it's in our teenage years where this gets in hyperdrive, don't you all know? And those of you who are teenagers, you can all say amen, you know? And parents of teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because now all of a sudden, not only are other people assessing you and evaluating you when you're in your teenage years, you're doing it to yourself. You're comparing yourself. Our teenage years are just full of comparing ourselves with everybody else and how do I measure up. And social media really has accentuated this for this generation, making it even harder. But it doesn't stop in our childhood because as adults, we continue to evaluate ourselves every single day. Statistics show that men look in the mirror 23 times a day. Come on, fellas. Let me get a hoorah. 
23 times a day. Ladies, listen to this, you only look in the mirror 16 times a day. Isn't that interesting? I thought this was an interesting statistic. I actually don't know if this is true because I've had a bunch of women in my house, and it seems like they're always in front of the mirror. So I don't know if this is really a true statistic or not because I haven't really seen it play out. But it's the next statistic that I find is so interesting and insightful because when women and girls, ladies, you can identify, when women and girls, when you look in the mirror, the number one thing that you look at are all your flaws. This is too big. This is too little. My hair is too curly. My hair is too straight. All you see are your flaws. So Wednesday, I was here in the office. It was basically the only day here in the office this week. I've been back and forth in Houston with Annalise and Hayden and little baby Amos. But Wednesday, I was in the office, and there were a bunch of ladies in there. So I thought, I'm going to ask him this question. Is this true? When you look in the mirror, is that what you see? Do you, all, is all you see is your flaws. And all of a sudden, all these ladies were just talking, 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 and saying all these things, things that as a man I can never, ever repeat, because I will get in trouble if I repeat anything that they said. But Lisa Kirby all of a sudden starts chiming in on this and, and participating, and all of a sudden she starts quoting this poem that she wrote several years ago, and it's just too good for you not to hear it. So I asked for her to share it one more time. Put your hands together for Lisa Kirby. Um, I'm an aging woman, an aging woman of God. My inside grows, my outside dies. Spirit radiant, but my flesh cries, morning cries of beauty past, a fading flower not meant to last. I'm grateful for his life in me, for without it despairing I would be, for ripply thighs and sagging skin, admiring looks of man don't win. But as he fills me with his gifts of grace and wisdom, my spirit lifts to things eternal, things unseen. It matters not that I'm not lean. <laughs> this body he will soon replace, and my glowing spirit will match my face, and I will see me as he sees now, a lovely daughter, not an aging sow. <laughs> <laughs> So you see why I could never say any of that, you know? Because here's the thing. Men and boys, we're completely different. When we look in the mirror, we don't see our flaws, you know, which is probably the reason why men can look in the mirror 23 times a day and women can't only look at themselves 16 times a day because when we look in the mirror, we just don't see our flaws. And so, you know, the, the man, he could be 50 pounds overweight, but yet he stands and looks in the mirror and says, I've still, I've still got it. You know, I'm still God's <laughs> gift to womankind. I may not have a six-pack, but I have a one-pack. <laughs> Or, or you know, the, the, the man may be looking in the mirror, and he's, he's losing all of his hair, but yet in his head, he still thinks he's as handsome as, as Brad Pitt. And, he, and I, don't know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when men start losing their hair, they start, they start growing hair out of their nose and out of their ears and on their back. But yet a man can stand in the mirror and look at himself with hair growing out of his nose and out of his ears and on his back and still think, hey, I still got it here. I don't know what it is about men in our brains, but I think, there, I think there's something messed up about all of this. But whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, all of us are constantly undergoing this evaluation and assessment throughout life. 
Now, I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong about assessment. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong about evaluation. The problem, though, is that if we don't understand God's perspective, if we don't discover who God has created us to be, if we lose that perspective, then we can get inundated with the world's opinions of who we are and who we're to be. And all of a sudden, we can form all these sorts of our own conclusions of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And as a result, we can find ourselves trapped and being overly focused on these wrong things and then living under this enormous pressure. This is what I think so many of us deal with when we talk about our identity, which brings me back to Exodus chapter 3 and Moses' encounter with God. Now, let me give you the backstory for what was going on, because this is really important for you to understand what was happening before we enter in this conversation with Moses and God. Because Moses was born in Egypt in a time where there was a threat against every Hebrew young boy. The Hebrews had been populating Egypt, even under slavery, they had populated so much that Pharaoh was afraid that, that the Hebrews would outnumber the Egyptians and they would rebel and revolt. And as a result, the Egyptians would no longer be able to control them and keep them in slavery. And so Pharaoh issued this edict that all young male boys were to be killed. And so Moses would have been killed. He was born at that time. But his mom took papyrus and tar and built this, this little kind of floating thing for her son and, and put Moses into it and then put him into the Nile, hoping that some way Moses would be saved. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the Nile River and then takes him in to be raised as her, her, own, her own child. And so Moses is raised in the king's courts with all of these privileges here, but then he hits a bump. He messes up here because one day he's out and he sees the cruelty of the Egyptians on his people, the Hebrews. And so anger rises up inside of him and he ends up killing an Egyptian taskmaster and then he buries that body of the Egyptian in the sand. And then he does what I think every single one of us tend to do when we mess up, and that is he runs. And so in that wilderness place is where he encounters God. And God begins to speak to him out of this burning bush. In essence, God's saying, all right, Moses, stop running. I have a plan and a purpose for your life, which then brings me back to Exodus 3, verse 10, which says, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so there's the question. Who am I? Notice the insecurity. Notice the evaluation here. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God says what I think he always says when we're dealing with our insecurities. I just think it's this kind of a go-to statement in every situation of our life. Verse 12, and God says, I will be with you. And I'm going to make a side comment here because the more disconnected you are from God the more you're going to struggle with your identity. The more separated from God that you are, the more you're going to struggle with your identity. Conversely, the more connected you are with God, the more it will create this anchor then in your identity. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that as I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now remember, God's speaking to Moses out of this burning bush. 
but yet Moses is still not totally convinced. I mean, think about it. God's speaking. He's hearing this voice come out of this burning bush, but yet Moses is not convinced yet. He's still struggling to believe what's being told to him. And so he responds to God, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked him, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And look at how God responds to Moses. He says, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Now, I don't know how you read this or, or, or hear that, but I just find it so funny that this is how God would tell Moses to respond to those people who are down. I am who I am. It's like, did I miss something? How does that mean anything? Who do, you, who do you think that that will have any sort of understanding when I say, I am sent me? <laughs> I just find this kind of funny, this interchange here with God. But the amazing thing here that what God is really describing here is, is because greater than this question that we have of who am I, greater than that in that question is the statement from God, I am who I am, which means the great I am is greater than any question regarding your identity that you will ever ask. He's the one who provides this anchor to our soul in the midst of all these thoughts, all this evaluation, what culture is pushing on you. He becomes that anchor to your soul. And so you would think, you would think that this would be enough for Moses. This is a conversation that's happening from with God with Moses. God's speaking to Moses out of this burning bush, God's describing to Moses his purpose and his mission in life. And God's telling Moses that he will be with him. So you'd think that this would be enough. But oh no, for the next 22 verses, Moses continues to doubt what God is saying about him, about his purpose and about his mission. Even though God continues to give him point after point, things that should fully convince him that he is who he says he is, and that Moses is able to do what he's called him to do. Now, I don't know how, how, again, how you look at this, but for me, I look at this and I think, what in the world, Moses? I mean, why is this so hard? God's speaking to you out of a burning bush. Why can't you just believe what God says? Why can't you just accept who God says that you are? Why, why don't you just say, yeah, I'll do, God, whatever you want me to do? But then I remember myself. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Then I, I started thinking about me and how often I need convincing to fully believe. To fully believe who God says I am. To fully believe that I'm able to do what he's called me to do. To fully believe that God will be with me in all these different seasons of my life. Now, how many of you are parents out there? Let me see your hands, parents. Let me see your hands. Any of you parents seen or read this, this book, Potty Training in One Day? How many, any of you parents seen that book before? Come on, is that it? Two of you. Only two of you have seen this book. How about this, this video? Any of you have seen this video here, Once Upon a Potty? Any of you see that video before? Something that you may not know about my family is that Courtney is a professional potty trainer. We had four kids, and she would take that book and that video, and she potty trained all four of our kids in one day. It works. And here's what she would do. She, she did exactly what the book would say to do. So she would sequester each one of the kids when it was their time. 
and she would isolate them around, away from everybody else from sun up to sundown, and she would be just in a place in the house by herself with that child for the entire day. Now, that room was stocked with lots of food, salty food, lots of drinks, a lot, a lot of drinks, and treats and candies so that every time the child would go on the potty, that then they would get a treat. They would get some side of candy for that kind of, um, kind of reinforcement that they were doing the right thing. And then all throughout the day, she'd be playing this video, Once Upon a Potty. And let me just say, once you've heard this a hundred times in a day, the little music ditty will never leave your head. Yes, I'm going to my potty, potty. Now I'm going to my potty, potty. Yeah, I'm going to my potty, potty now. That, that's the song. It went over and over and over and over. And there's a girl version and a boy version for this. We had two of each. And, and so, so she would take these kids, and then one day she would potty train all of her kids. Now, here's the point. <laughs> We're not talking about potty training. But think about this. Parents, all of you know that when you're talking about potty training, we have our kids' best in mind, don't we? Come on, parents. You want your kids to be potty trained because you don't want them to be entering into college in a diaper, okay? So we have their best in mind here, but how often do we have to, in order to train our kids to be potty trained, how much coaxing and how much treats we have to get them in order for them actually to be potty trained? Come on, parents. You know what I'm talking about here? I just think this is so similar to our interaction with God. Follow me here. Because think about all the amazing things God has for you. Think about how he has your best in mind. And so why in the world do we make God sing these ditties and give us treats and try to force us to convince us that what he wants us to do that we can do and that where he wants us to go that we'll do? I mean, why do we make him do this? Seriously, because what if we were so secure in ourself and so secure in who he is that no matter what he says that we'll do and no matter where he tells us to go, that we'll go? I think this is where God tries to get every single one of us. And so when you look at Moses, though, and hear him this, in this part of his life, he just wasn't there yet. Look at Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. It will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. And so, again, God's having to coax him. God's kind of trying to move him along here. Now, here's the thing about insecurity. Because I think there are kind of two responses to insecurity in our life, two kind of camps that we go to. When, we, when insecurity is building up in our life. The first one is that you can be a person who, when you feel insecure, your response is, I will show you. I, I'm going to show you I'm good enough. I'm going to show you that I can do this, that I'm the best. I, I, I don't need your help. I can do this all by myself. In other words, your insecurity becomes a pride issue. 
which means sometimes the strongest person externally is not necessarily the strongest person internally. That a lot of times what's happening is we're just overcompensating for our insecurity. And if this is your bent, then you're going to realize times in your life where this is what happens to you. You fall into this way of dealing with your insecurity. But then on the other hand, some of us, when we deal with insecurity, we respond this way. We always say, well, I'm just not good enough. I can't, I can't do it. I'll never be good enough. No, nobody believes in me. Nobody likes, likes me. Nobody's going to help me. And so your response to insecurity becomes this rejection complex. And what happens is when you fall into this rejection complex, then all of a sudden you start pushing people, not intentionally, but you actually start pushing people away from you. Now here's the thing. Usually this starts because you experience real rejection. But if you don't heal from that, if you don't learn how to anchor your soul and your personality and who you are and who's God, if you haven't learned how to anchor that in God, then your thoughts become consumed with rejection. And now all of a sudden, your whole life is this filter of rejection. So you, you interact with people still with this filter of rejection. You're thinking they're going to reject you. And so you hear words that how you interpret them is by rejection. And so it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where you just continue this rejection inside of you. And some of you are stuck in this vicious cycle of this rejection complex. But here's the thing that's so great about God. Because God doesn't just work around our insecurities. He actually works through them. I love this about God. Our insecurities doesn't scare God off. He actually works through them um, and comes alongside of us. And so, so no matter how much we keep resisting God, so no matter how much we, we're dealing with our insecurities, God still comes and wants to come with you and work through it, through those insecurities with you, which is exactly then what he ends up doing with Moses. And so I want to give you four ways here, kind of four practical ways to start addressing the insecurity in your life and start living more securely. Here's number one. Don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Now, here's, I want you to think about this. Because do you ever wonder why you feel like you don't measure up? Do you ever wonder why you don't feel like you measure up? Okay, I'm, I'm forcing you to have to think about the way you think and the way you feel. But do you ever wonder why you, don't, you, don't, you feel like you don't measure up? Here's the, here's, here's the, here's the reality. You don't. The reality is, every one of us, we don't measure up in all of the areas. That is, that, is, that is the truth. And so that feeling that I don't measure up is actually a true feeling, which, by the way, is why we need Jesus, everybody. We don't measure up, and so that's why we, we need Jesus. Moses is a type and a figure of God's big story leading us to a moment where Jesus comes into our life and says, I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel like you don't measure up. I know you feel weak. That's what sin does. But that's why Jesus says, that's why I came to give my life so that you can know who you are and you can be who God created you to be. And really, that's when we find the strength to address those feelings and emotions of inadequacy. And that's where you find a place to anchor your soul. It becomes an anchor into your personality. So no matter what your thoughts are, no matter what your feelings are, no matter what your, your hormones are telling you, no matter what culture is pushing on you, it becomes an anchor to your soul. 
so that Jesus he speaks into that so that you're able to stand and be who he's called you to be. And when you do that, all of a sudden you start coming out from underneath all these feelings of pride and all these feelings of rejection that, that the devil's put in there that, to destroy your relationships, to destroy your life, to destroy your future. And what you begin to realize is that I'm not my past. I'm not my rejections. I'm not my strengths. I'm not my weaknesses. You begin to have this revelation of who you are. Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see living is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This evening, we're going to be water baptizing a whole bunch of people. There are like 50 or so people that are being water baptized tonight. You saw the announcement for that. But when you think about water baptism, water baptism is this moment where I begin to declare, I no longer identify with what I was. I now identify with Jesus. I'm not living out of my past. I'm now living out of faith. I'm not defined by my history. I'm defined by what Jesus has done. I'm not afraid of my failures and the mistakes that I've made. I'm secure in my future with Jesus. That's the declaration that we make when we're being publicly water baptized. And let me just make a little plug for you. If that's something that's just kind of been lingering there for you and you haven't taken that step, please do this. I can't tell you about better Sunday, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday after Easter, to be water baptized. Plus, you're with uh, 50 more people who are doing it themselves. It's going to be a great celebration for all of you who are not being water baptized. Please come tonight, One Chapel, Austin, 530. If you want to be baptized, onechapel.com. You can find the information right there. You can sign up. Here's number two. Lean into your weakness. Lean into your weakness to leverage more of God's strength. Think about that. Lean into your weakness to leverage more of God's strength. The Apostle Paul writes in God's interaction with him, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, But he, that is God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. Now, I don't think this is a very popular idea in our culture today, which is why I don't think we highlight it very often. But did you know your weaknesses do not have to be your liability? Come on, turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor this. They need to hear this, so wake them up. Go ahead and shake them a little bit. Tell your neighbor your weaknesses don't have to be your liability. Come on, don't look at me, look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor that. They need to hear that. Your weaknesses don't need to be your li a liability. Your weaknesses don't have to be the source of your insecurity. Your weaknesses can actually become the backdrop for God's power. Your weaknesses can actually be the place where God shows himself strong in your life. So this is what God was telling the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is this huge figure, huge personality. Talk about big personality. Apostle Paul is a, this driven force. But yet, he, like every one of us, we still have weakness. We still have insecurity. We still have issues going on in our life. And so God's having this conversation with Paul. Just like you and I, we need to have this conversation with God. So God was telling the Apostle Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, so Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I just find this so contrary to what culture tells you to do. Because when you discover and find weaknesses and you keep falling into your weaknesses, what culture tells you to do is just get more information. Just get more information about this, because when you get more information, then that'll help you. Which is the reason why the number one category in bookstores, bookstores is the self-help category, right? 
That's what culture tells us to do. Just get more information about this. And so I think we have this inclination that when we find a weakness, that we need to overcompensate it in our own strength to fix the weakness. But the message of Jesus is, I know you're frail. I know you're inadequate. I know you're weak. So why don't you invite me to come in on your weakness? Why don't you lean into me when you're weak and see what I will do when I come alongside of you? So I want to encourage you, when you're feeling insecure, when your weakness begins to overtake you, lean into Jesus. Bring him in on that weakness and let him step in and be strengthened for you. Here's number three. Number three, submit your self-talk and your thoughts to the truth of God's word. Boy, I can't overstate this one. I can't say it strongly enough for you. Submit your self-talk and your thoughts to the truth of God's word. Romans 12 verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I just think a lot of insecurity comes from all these different thoughts that just bombard our heads. Thoughts have been placed there by what others have spoken over you. Thoughts that have been placed there by what the culture is trying to push on to you. Thoughts that are there just simply because all the barrage of thoughts that go through all these six goals of our, house, in our heads. And so that's why the real battle that we have to face are the thoughts that run through our heads. I don't know about you. I'm just so glad that nobody reads my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, my thoughts go all over the place. But here's what I've discovered. This is just so true. You want to deal with your insecurities? You want God to be strong in you? Then you have to, instead of just being what your thoughts say you are, instead of just being what your emotions tell you are, instead of just being what your hormones or what culture says that you are, submit those thoughts to what God says about you. Uh, this, this, this last week, I don't know if you're at Easter service, but we did um, this, this special here, and which, um, which was this kind of monologue that I did for 20 minutes. And uh, you need to know something about me, is that there's nothing about what I do even now that's natural for me. There's, this is not any, there's no natural propensity for being able to speak in front of people. As a matter of fact, I, it, it just doesn't match my personality. I'm a DS personality in, in the disc. And, and so it just doesn't match my personality. And so this idea that I have to stand before you on Easter Sunday and I have to memorize 12 pages and be able to share with you the heart of God in Easter is just so far from anything that's comfortable for me. And it, it just, it's one of those things that in my head it's like, I, I can't do this. I, I'm not good at this. I look at, I look at Pastor Ross and Austin, Pastor Britt and Kyle. They're fantastic. They're natural. They have, a, they have a natural eye personality. They're so gifted just in public speaking. They, they can speak on anything, which, by the way, was the reason why for me for such a long time I resisted God's call to be a pastor because I thought, I can't do this. I don't have, I'm, not just, I'm not a loquacious person where I have all these words that I can't just wait to share. I actually have very few words. And so the idea of getting up on a Sunday and telling you something was like, ugh, I think I can do that once. And maybe, maybe I can figure out something to say for 52 times, but that's only one year. I have no idea what I'm going to do the next year because I, I've said everything I'm going to say. I have nothing else to say. My wife will attest, to, you know, that's the reality of her marriage with me. By the time I get home, I have no more words. 
I have used them up. And so for me, the idea of having to stand before you and share and talk with you 52 times a year is like it just, it, it, it just was a breakdown in my head. And not only that, not only my own thoughts, but what other people have told me as well over the years. When I first started, so I've been doing this for almost 30 years, by the way. And so a lot of, a lot of 52s, you know, in, in, in those years, I have no idea how I found any of those words to be able to share during those years. But I'll, I'll never forget, and one of my, uh, this is way back when we were in Colorado Springs, so back in the 90s, and I was the social pastor of a, this mega church, over 10,000 people there. And the first time that I was getting ready to preach, we were doing three services, and so over 3,000 people in each service. And so uh, our senior pastor, he has this conversation with me about the message and the series that we're in, and I'm writing this message, and, and so he tells me the day before, Russ, make sure you speak out of your eye, I-D-I-S-D-I-S-C, personalities, I is the sanguine, and I'm looking at him and thinking, I have no eye. <laughs> I have no eye. How in the world am I supposed to speak out of my eye when that is just not me? <laughs> in other words, he was telling me to be something that I'm not. Here's the thing, if I had not been anchored, if my identity had not been anchored with Jesus, it would have messed me up. It would have completely messed me up, because what he was saying was that you're not good enough. I've had to learn how to be me in doing this, and that God calls us with all different personalities to do this thing, whatever it is that it, that it is for you. And so what Paul's talking about here is that we have to submit our thoughts you have to submit your emotions and your hormones and all these different things. You have to submit it to the Word of God and what He says so that you can let God give you a right view of who you are and what He's called you to do and so that you can have a right perspective even of who God is in your life. The Passion Bible says it this way, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be empty to self-promotion and not create a false image of, important, of your importance. Instead, Honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. I love that paraphrase of that passage here. Here's number four. One more. Number four, focus more on what God is doing in you than what others say or think about you. Somebody needs to hear this one this morning. Focus more about what God is saying what God is doing in you than what others think or say about you. Hebrews 11, verse 24, bring it back to Moses here. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now think about this. We saw the beginning of his journey, beginning of his journey, full of insecurities, constantly messing up. He makes some big blunders in his life. He has some major detours in his life. But yet Moses is included here in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter of the faith heroes throughout the centuries. Moses is included here in this faith hall of fame. Why? Because he kept moving forward in this journey with his insecurities. He kept on bringing God into those things. And ultimately, he answered this who am I question, not by looking what everyone else was saying, not by looking at the treasures that Egypt wanted to give him, not by answering with all these wrong other things, but by looking ahead and seeing the reward that God had for him. Listen, everybody, how you answer this who am I question will affect your legacy. It does. 
How you answer this question, who am I, will affect your legacy. It affects how your spouse sees you. It affects how your kids see you. It affects how your coworkers see you. It affects how your friends see you. This is why how you answer that who am I question is not just about your own insecurities. It really is about the legacy that you leave. Because if you don't address these insecurities in your life and this question of who am I, then you'll pass on that rejection complex to your kids, to your friends, to the people who are around you. You'll pass on that pride issue. And that's, you got to overcompensate for your weakness. And you'll do it in your own. That will become your legacy. And you pass that on. Listen, everybody. That's not what God has for you. That's why we have to be anchored. There's got to be an anchor to our soul. So I want to encourage you just with one really specific thing as you're going into this week. And that is, stop worrying so much about what everybody else out there is thinking about you. Listen. Just stop worrying and being consumed with what you think everybody else is thinking about out here. Because a lot of times when we're, we're so worried about what other people are thinking. And when you do that, you're going to end up making poor, poor decisions. Again, it's going through that, that filter of rejection, the filter of I can do it, pride. And so you're, you're, you're approaching situations and people then wrongly. Here's the reality, everybody. They're not thinking about you. I'm sorry to tell you, they're really not thinking about you because they're only consumed with themselves. You're thinking they're thinking about you, and it's messing you up. They're not thinking about you. They're just thinking about themselves. That's the reality here. Nobody really thinks about anybody else. We're just all so self-consumed. And so that's why you need to be more concerned with what God is speaking over you and who Jesus has called you to be and discovering that. And when you do, it will give you an anchor to your identity. If you want to, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. Because I want you to just take this, this moment here as we're finishing up just to let the Holy Spirit speak directly into those things in your own life. To let him put his finger on these things that um, maybe are out of order in, in your own life here. Because as we start this Who Am I series, I want you to think about this question of who am I when I think I don't measure up? Who am I when I, I think I don't measure up? I mean, does your insecurities become a pride issue? Does your insecurities become this rejection complex? Because what insecurity does is that it distorts then the world around you. And then it forces you to try to find your identity and other stuff and other people. But I think it's just so important for us to understand that you're not defined by what others think of you. You're not defined by what culture says about you. You're not defined by the emotions that go in and out of you. You're not defined by all these different thoughts that go in and out of your head. You're not defined by the hormones that rage inside of you. You're not defined by your relationships. You're not defined by your paycheck. You're not defined by your school grades. You're not defined by your ACT test. You're not defined by the car you drive or the house you live in. You're not defined by your strengths. You're not defined by your weaknesses. I mean, all these are cool and great, but it just makes for poor, 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 poor identity. Because whatever you find your identity in most has the greatest potential to make you feel insecure. That's why Jesus wants to help you answer this who am I question with the reality of who he is and the reality that he is that great I am. He wants to speak into every area of your insecurities and then tell you who you are. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us here this morning and all these questions of identity, of 
really who I am. Father, you would begin to stir your spirit of truth, your spirit of wisdom, and your spirit of counsel that would break off every lie, every confusing thought, every confusing emotion, that your spirit of truth, your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of counsel would come into every one of these hearts and minds right now. And that God, you would become an anchor to their souls. That in the midst of all these confusing messages, in the midst of all this, these assessments and evaluation and comparison, that God, that you would anchor our souls and that we would then truly believe who you say we are, that we would hold on to that. Lord, I pray for just that release for everyone here, that release of those pride issues that we use to overcompensate for insecurities, a release from those rejection complex that causes us to live our world from that filter. Father, I pray for that breakthrough for everyone here. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. Have a great week.